and alive. You know, I've said this for years, but they, they really are. We obviously, you know, we give glory to God, but we can tell people thank you when they take us into the throne. And they're so good. There are times I, I even feel like I have rhythm. So that, that's, that's pretty impressive. How are you this morning? Good, good. It is great. Great to be back in the house with you. Got a little time off. Got my daughter deposited back at college for another year. And we've had a great, great, great summer. I don't know if you know this. We're actually one church in two locations. And so right now, we want to give it up for Lake Hills Church downtown that's happening at Brazos Hall right now. That's pretty cool. Normal is overrated and therefore deserves to be overthrown. I'm going to say that again. Normal is overrated and deserves to be overthrown. You you might want to write that down in the little notes section on your program that you got when you came in because that's really our jumping off place for this brand new series. Normal is overrated and deserves to be overthrown. Now I know that Summer is kind of winding down. It certainly doesn't feel like it temperature-wise or whatever, but calendar-wise and back-to-school-wise, summer is winding down. And so I know a lot of us are kind of struggling with getting out of that vacation mindset. How many of y'all have had kind of a vacation mindset? Let me just see a show of hands real quick. You know what I'm talking about, where you're kind of like, man, it's summertime, we'll just kind of chill out on some folks for a little while and some people I know like to go to the beach some people are mountain people some people are beach people but those who like to go to the beach you you know what it's like when you get down there man you just you just want to chill now some people some of the overachievers who go to the beach when they go on vacay they get a little cray cray and they might you know body surf some waves or get out there and they paddle board or do whatever but you know just getting out in the water, that, that's just kind of the normal flow of things. That, that's what's ordinary about going to the beach. Well, this summer, I had the unique opportunity. I've never gotten to do this before in my life. I got to absolutely, literally blow normal out of the water. Some of you may know that we took a group from our church to Israel, to the Holy Land this summer, back in July. And it was an amazing amazing trip we, we were there kind of as things were sort of escalating there in the Middle East and we got a, how many of y'all saw the movie Argo do you remember the movie Argo when they, Ben Affleck was getting some hostages out from the American embassy in Iran in 19 whatever that was 79 is that right 70, something like that 78 79 and in that scene in the movie where they're chasing him down the tarmac and they're shooting at the big jet airliner and they finally go wheels up and Ben Affleck kind of goes that's kind of how I felt when we went wheels up out of Tel Aviv this summer. But the trip was absolutely amazing. It was unbelievable. We, we went to the Sea of Galilee where Jesus sailed and calmed the storm and he taught there the Sermon on the Mount very close to the Sea of Galilee. But one night in particular, we spent beside the Dead Sea. We, we spent a night at a hotel there beside the Dead Sea, and it was there at the Dead Sea that I had one of the most amazing experiences of my life. Now, the Dead Sea is a really interesting body of water. It is the absolute lowest point on the planet Earth. It, it, there's nothing lower than the Dead Sea, and it is kind of the depository or the terminus 
of the Jordan River. The Jordan River flows pretty much due south from the north throughout Palestine, through Israel, and it deposits into the Dead Sea, which has absolutely no outlet. There's no stream, there's no river, no tributaries going out of the Dead Sea. So all of the sediment that comes down the Jordan River just sits there in the Dead Sea. And as such, it has an incredibly high salt content. The Dead Sea's salinity is at about 34.5%. It is so salty. When you go to the Dead Sea, you don't need a paddleboard. You don't need floaties or an inner tube like you do on the Guadalupe. You literally just float in the water. This is a woman that I met while I was there at the Dead Sea. I'm just kidding. That's my wife if you're new around here. That's Julie. (laughs) But she was kind of cute. So we started floating together. But we're literally in about four feet of water right here in the Dead Sea. Just floating. I didn't even have to hold my breath. I mean, you know, and and for me to float, I'm at about 3% body fat. That's unbelievable. I'm just kidding. Not really. But it's so salty, you you just float. And this is the amazing power of salt. It's incredible to me that something so ordinary can literally suspend the ordinary and produce something so extraordinary. This power of salt, I think, is something that is so important for you and for me as Christ followers to understand exactly what Jesus meant. In Matthew chapter 5, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to look at Matthew chapter 5. Jesus makes a profound statement. Now, as you're looking at Matthew 5, either in a Bible or maybe on your smartphone, let me give you a little bit of background. This is very early in Jesus' earthly ministry. He has gone through his temptation in the wilderness. He's begun to assemble his team of closest followers, the disciples. He's even done some teaching and some healing up around the Sea of Galilee and in that area. But here in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus sits down on a hillside to deliver the most famous sermon ever given in the history of the world. It is the Sermon on the Mount. And In Matthew 5, verse 13, Jesus says something specifically to those who would be followers of Christ. And he says this in kind of an introductory way. The the Sermon on the Mount, or the Beatitudes that he's about to get into, he's just kind of setting this up. And he's kind of gathering the crowd and getting their attention. And this is what he says in Matthew 5, 13. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor. Can you make it salty again? No, it'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Now, we, we've you know, got the benefit of 2,000 years hindsight since Jesus uttered this statement. But it's important to remember that when Jesus taught, he used very common, ordinary objects and lessons to teach uncommon, extraordinary truth and reality to show people that things now were going to be different. That's kind of the essence of this series that we're beginning today, Shake It Up. As Christ followers, as a church at large, we want to move from status quo to status go. That Jesus wants to take us and move us beyond where we are right now. He loves us as is right where we are. But he loves us too much to leave us where we are. That there is work 
to be done, that it is time for us individually and collectively to move forward as his followers. Because normal is overrated and deserves to be overthrown. Think about the world that you and I live in. It's a really interesting place spiritually. We live in the United States of America. We have a a long and storied tradition with religion. It says on our money, in God we trust. But the reality is that that long and storied tradition has somewhat of a spotty record. There's a checkered past that many times can kind of confuse the issue for a lot of people. By the same token, you and I live in Austin, Texas, the center of the known universe, scientists have since discovered. And it's a great, great place to live. And yet, for all of its advantages and all of the blessings and benefits of living here, church is is kind of a an odd commodity here in Austin. If you want to open a bar, if you want to have live music, if you want to start a a tech company, man, this is the place to be. But but church, what do we do with that? What does that look like day in and day out? And so I think it's incumbent upon us who are Christ followers to just acknowledge the reality that normal is overrated and needs to be overthrown. That, That we have to continuously and repeatedly shake it up in order to be the church that God wants us to be. Now, Jesus said something 2,000 years ago that still matters and still has incredible relevance and resonance today. He said, you are the salt of the earth. You you are the ones that will act as a preservative. In Jesus' day, salt was used to preserve meat. They didn't have Frigidaire. They didn't have sub-zeros. And so in order to save fish and meat, they use salt as a preservative. But the reality is that you and I both know salt adds flavor, doesn't it? We, we love I mean, most of us grew up with the little Morton girl in the little blue package, and, and we put the salt in the salt shaker and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, we've kind of graduated now. We like our sea salt in the little grinder. We put that on our bacon and eggs and our steak, and it's just lovely sea salt sea salt it's not normal it's not so common it's sea salt but the fact of the matter is that salt adds flavor there's very little that you put in your mouth that salt doesn't help (laughs) french fries even better steak god's favorite food even better with salt on it so there's this preservative agent but then there's also this flavoring agent to salt. And I think both matter for people who call themselves Christ followers. That if we are to truly follow Christ, we are to have that preserving agent that we make a difference in this world, but we also have something that's kind of attractive and appealing. There, there's something in our lives that, that people want to be around. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that God is good. Many of us maybe grew up saying a little blessing around the dinner table. Remember? God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. You had to say food for it to rhyme, right? But God is good. And I think some of this is what Jesus is talking about here when he says you're the salt of the earth. But, But what if we lose our saltiness? What if we we lose our distinctiveness and we're no longer making a difference in the world, nor are we really attractive and adding flavor to the world? 
Jesus says, may it never be. That's that's not what he's called us to. He's called us to be the salt of the earth. And so I want to invite you, everybody, if you will, take out your program that you got when you came in this morning. And because I've been away and getting a little bit of recharge and recreational time, we're going to make this a little interactive today. And I'm going to use the acrostic SALT, S-A-L-T. So just, you know, mark that down the left-hand side of your notes page there. Write that word down. Leave it evenly spaced so it'll look nice when you put it on the refrigerator later on this afternoon. But the word SALT, I think, can serve as a great roadmap for what this looks like to be the salt of the earth. And as I said, I want to make it a little bit interactive. And because salt begins with the letter S, I want to ask you, give me the letter S. S. Thank you, men. Three of you, thank you for following up. S. Submit your priorities to Christ. Now, clearly, as you're writing that down, Jesus was talking to people who are the already convinced. He was talking to people who have stepped over that line of faith personally and definitively. He's not saying that just everybody is supposed to be the salt of the earth. He's saying, if you want to follow me, you be the salt of the earth. If you're not yet a Christ follower, first of all, I hope you understand how welcome you are in this place, and we want you to be here. We've prayed, we've worked for you to enjoy being here and have a safe place to kick the tires spiritually and to check out the God thing. But this message today, Jesus' word, is probably going to be advanced study for you. It's something for you to kind of use and to file away somewhere for a future time for you, as Jesus said, to count the cost. As you think about what does it mean to commit my life to Christ, this is part of it. This is part of what it looks like, that you submit your priorities to Christ. What we're talking about here is a very, very personal conversation between you and God. A very, very private moment where you get real, where I get real with God and I say, God, whatever you want, those will be my priorities. Whatever you want, I will submit my priorities to you. Now, we haven't even started listing yet. Don't don't start writing things down, trying to get extra credit and figure out where the sermon's going next. We're not there yet. This is just me and God, you and God, talking honestly. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, great, great church. And I'm so old that I went to church before God invented the video screen. We had hymnals that we actually had to sing, read the words out of. Now, they were written in paper. It wasn't on stone, but it was paper. And we had the words that we sang in church, we had to read out of the hymnal. And, and, and that was how we did it. And I remember one song in particular out of the Baptist hymnal, Wherever He Leads, I'll Go. Some, some of you may re- remember that song. And I, I remember it particularly because our pastor used to say, be careful before you sing this song. I was like, are we in like some kind of danger? He said, be careful before you sing this song because this is the most dangerous prayer You'll ever pray. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Whatever God says about what my priorities need to be, I will follow. Wherever 
he leads, I'll go. Remembering that normal is overrated and needs to be overthrown. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I will submit my priorities where I spend my time, where I invest my resources, how I live my life. I will submit to God. I will say, God, whatever you want from me, that's what I want. Whatever you want from me, God, as a husband. If you, God, if, if you want my relationship with Julie to be the most important human relationship on earth for me, then that's what I want. God, if you want me as a husband to not date other women, then I will not date other women. Your priorities, my priorities. Whatever they may be, I submit to you. Now, I want you to notice how personal that is, how private that is. Nobody can pray that prayer for you. Nobody else can have that conversation on your behalf. You have to decide, I have to decide to submit my priorities to Christ. I have to be willing to say, whatever you say, God. And I think there's something inside of us that kind of recoils from that. Isn't there? There's something inside, we kind of like want to give that the Heisman, don't we? Like, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure that I want to submit, God. I mean, what, what, if, what if I don't like what you say? Remember, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's good. God's not going to screw up your priorities. God's not going to call you to do something that leads away from the greatest life you could possibly know. When you submit to a God who is good, when you submit to the God who loves you, you remember that he loves us unconditionally, perfectly, as is. Nobody can love you better. You can't love yourself as much as God loves you. Some of you think, well, I like me a lot. But you can't. And because God's love is perfect, his will is perfect, good, and pleasing. And so when you submit to his will, you're ultimately submitting to your own best interests. And so there ought to be a lot of freedom in that, a lot of kind of like, oh, wow, I'll submit. A, give me an A. A. A line your priorities with the gospel. Align your priorities and the gospel. Now, when I say the word gospel, what are we talking about? That's a good church word, isn't it? Amen. God, I heard gospel. Gospel. It's gospel truth. Gospel. Gospel. Well, the word gospel just means good news. What does the gospel mean? It means John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, so that whoever believes in him would never die but would have eternal life starting right there, right now. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And once I have submitted my priorities to Christ, then I begin the process of aligning 
my priorities with the gospel. I start to say, okay, now God, wherever you lead, I'll go. What does my week look like? What does my year look like? How does my time really get lived out? And this is where we start really and truly doing it. First and foremost, faith. It's it's the center of our priority universe. It's it's why we get up and go every day. We're aligning our priorities with the gospel. So that's our faith. What am I doing that's building my faith? Where does the body of Christ fit into my priorities, to my family's priorities? Where does my time with God fit in to my schedule? Faith. Number two is family. That's second. Family, whatever form that takes for you, the first institution ordained by God in this world was the family. Before there was a school, before there was a business, before there was a government, before there was a church, God ordained the family. So for you, whatever that looks like, for me, I'm a husband. That's my number one relational role on the planet. And if you, if you are you know, in, in a family, marriage is first. Long before the kids, tell the kids, you're in second place. Sit down. <laughs> Mommy and Daddy are going out on a date night. See ya. Take care. Be nice to the babysitter. Because I'll, ta- I'll take you out when I get home. I love Bill Cosby's line. I'll make another one look just like you. It doesn't matter to me. It's a great line. They learn their place that way. But the marriage, if you're married, that's the bottom line, human relationally speaking. That's it. Now, if you're not married, you're still part of a family. You still have relationships to prioritize. So there's faith, there's family. Number three, there's work. You know, work matters. Work is important. People think, well, you know, work was part of the curse after the original sin. No, it wasn't. That's not true. God created us in his image. God works. And he gave Adam work to do before sin ever entered the picture. Work matters. And so you begin to live your life out of a gospel orientation or reorientation, your work. And then number four, your health, your your physical well-being, the body that God gave you, whatever that may be. (laughs) But that's got to be a priority. The Bible tells us that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, that, that, that they matter. So what I eat, how I exercise, how I take care of myself, that is an expression of worship. That's an expression of priority. Well, I don't have time. Well, you've only got one body, cuz. I mean, you got one. So what do you do with that? Now, let me ask you a question. Some, some people are going, oh, man, I got my priorities. Check this out. Faith, family, work, health. What else do you have time for? What, I mean, 
Look how simple your life just became as you aligned your priorities with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What else do you have time for? I just saved you years off of your life. If you can, if you can work in a movie, knock yourself out. If you can go on vacation or fly fishing or hunting to, you know, to get meat for the family for the winter, that's cool. But those priorities reflect the gospel, the reality of a life changed, the reality of going from the status quo to status go, the reality that normal is overrated and needs to be overthrown. What do our priorities look like as a family? What are we going to participate in? What are we, you know, what are we going to do? What are we going to not do? Oh man, what a great question for a family to ask, particularly before school starts. What are we not going to do this year? What, let's, let's figure out something to not do. Align your priorities with the gospel. L, give me an L. L. Look for gospel opportunities, check this out, as you go. Look for gospel opportunities as you go. This is one of the most misunderstood parts of the Christian life that I've ever run up against or had to conquer in my own life. As you, as you align your priorities with the gospel, you begin then to see everything that you do as an opportunity for the gospel. Jesus said something so profound in Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew 28, Jesus gave us the great commission. It was the last thing he said before he returned to heaven after his earthly ministry, after his crucifixion, after his resurrection, as he's getting ready to go back to heaven. He says to his closest followers the following. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. He says, therefore, go, say go, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I want you to circle that word go in your Bible or, or highlight it in your notes because it is so important. In the original language, in, in the Aramaic and then in the Greek, that word go is more accurately translated as a progressive participle. Thank you very much. <laughs> My mom was an English teacher, so I can throw those kind of, link, those kind of terms around. But a progressive participle means as you are going. It's not just go. It's as you are going. Make disciples of all nations. As you live your life, as you are going, as a wife, make disciples of all nations. See, a lot of times we've kind of said, well, it says go and make disciples. How many of y'all are students? Let me see you show of hands if you're a student in the room, okay? You're probably thinking as a student, well, I can't really like, pack up and go to Uganda. I'm, I'm sorry. i got to wait. That's okay. Are you going to class? Then, as you are going, make disciples of all nations. As you are going, let the gospel radiate out of your life. How many of you are moms? You're a mom in the house. And you're thinking, can I please go to Uganda? <laughs> Uganda would be a reprieve 
Listen, that's cool. But as you are going as a mom, make disciples. Show your children. Let your children taste and see that God is good. As a husband, as you are going, show your wife the love and sacrifice, sacrificial love of Christ through your life for her. Watch that. Look for those gospel opportunities as you go to work, as you hang out with people. Look for those gospel opportunities, maybe to invite someone to church with you, to, to bring them along, to share with them and, ex, and share with, expa, ex, <coughs> expand what God is allowing you to experience. God, it shouldn't have been so hard. Look for those gospel opportunities as you are going because normal is overrated and deserves to be overthrown. T. Give me a T. Now, I'm really just setting you up for where we're going next week, okay? But T is so important as salt that we team up. That we team up. Understand that a relationship with Christ is absolutely personal. It is. It's, it's unique. Jesus meets us exactly where we are and he loves us too much to leave us there. It's, it's personal. But it is never intended to be private. People say, well, you know, my, my faith thing is, is really very private. It's private. It's private. Well, then your faith thing is messed up. Because your faith thing, my faith thing is, is intended to be lived in community, in relationship, in the family of faith, connected with other people, genuinely doing life with each other. And you can't do that by yourself. So yes, there is a personal component, but there's also an interactive, collective dynamic attached to this faith thing, when we, when we team up and when the body of Christ, the family of faith, makes a difference in a neighborhood, in a city, in a state, in a nation, in the world, one life at a time, when we team up, that's what that looks like. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, I want to just invite you into a spirit of prayer. Into a realization that God calls us, individually and collectively, to shake it up. To change things and to, to move from the status quo to status go to make a difference in this world because everything has changed
just bow your heads for a moment. And in this moment, I want to ask you just a very, very direct question. Have you personally responded to the gospel? To the fact that God loves you and gave his son, Jesus, to die on the cross, to rise again, so that whoever believes in him would never die. And I ask you that question because it's so straightforward. It really is simple. It's yes or no. Now, if your answer to that question is yes, then I want to invite you just to pray with everything that you've got right now. But if you answered that question with a no, or I'm not sure, then we want to just give you the opportunity to respond right now. To make sure in Christ. To just pray right where you're sitting, a prayer of beginning, a prayer of committing and responding to Jesus' grace initiative. If that's you in this place, then I want to just invite you to pray silently right where you're sitting. Just silently talk to God. In your own words, say something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I know it. And so... I choose to believe that you died for me. I choose to believe that you rose again for me. And so in exchange for your life, I give you mine. All of it. Jesus, I want to live with you. I want to live for you from this moment forward. And I pray this prayer in your name. I want to ask you just to remain in a spirit of prayer with your heads bowed for another moment. Your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Because this is sacred ground. if you just prayed that prayer of beginning, of committing your life to Christ, I want you to know this is the most important moment in your life. And it's a moment that you need to mark. You need to stamp it in your heart, in your spirit, indelibly. And so, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you just prayed that prayer, I want to ask you if you would Mark this moment by raising your hand high and unmistakably over your head and just hold it up there for a moment as you signify your commitment 
your response to the good news. As a church, this moment in your life matters to us. We celebrate it. We honor that. And, by the way, we want to help going forward. So we celebrate that as you put your hands down. We like to put our hands together to tell you welcome home. Welcome home.